Hello, this is Josh Belk with the Belkham Business Podcast. Thank you once again for taking a few moments to listen in today. I think you're going to find uh, today's podcast particularly helpful, especially if you um, are interested in or you currently uh, have any sort of self-directed retirement plans or if you're just interested in retirement plans in general. Uh, the guest that we have today is truly a, um, uh, an individual who has researched this particular topic and actually has a has a, uh, a service or a product that I think that will uh, th- that will help you and that you'll find great interest in. And we'll get into that in a little bit uh, later on this podcast. Sean, uh, a wonderful opportunity to have you joining us today. I'm going to just kind of give you a little bit of a bio on Sean, and then we'll uh, we'll get into some specifics, uh, a little bit more information about Sean, and then we'll get into some specific, specific questions that I think will will provide value and uh, just a great deal of help informa- helpful information to you. So Sean Higgins, Association for Optimum Achieve, and he's been doing this since 1996, and also QRP, is the world's most sought after teacher and public speaker on the topic of tax deed and tax lien certificate investments. And for those of you who may know Sean, uh, that's probably uh, what you know him from is uh, from right. that uh, from that particular past uh, that uh, that he has, and maybe even present. You can tell us a little bit about that as well. So he started his career in finance as a stockbroker. I found that interesting. Uh, later became a financial planner and developed his own strategy investing in tax lien certificates. So, and Sean's uh, passion. Uh, ranges from assisting clients to build and protect their wealth. And I find this interesting as well. Some of your personal passions of photography and of course, family as well. And I think that's wonderful. So uh, Sean, feel free to go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you and your background. Well, thank you, Josh. I really appreciate you having me on uh, here today. You know, a little bit of my background is, is, is really, you know, kind of culminates with actually what we're going to be talking about here today, um, which is uh, self-managed pension accounts. Um, you know, I've always been kind of looking at things and going, why is this this way? Um, you know, I worked at New York Life. I was going to be um, a financial uh, planner, basically, um, with them. I spent three years with them. I got rookie of the year the first year I went there. And I was really into the whole retirement deal. But what I realized real quickly within that environment is what was good for my clients wasn't necessarily what they wanted me to sell. And it really kind of rubbed because I came into New York Life kind of in a backwards way. I was a stockbroker that went that way. And that usually those lines don't really cr- cross. And so, you know, I was a hustler and I went out there and I saw this whole opportunity with pension accounts. Well, what happened was, and I saw this very odd is if I didn't sell the New York Life product, well, they didn't like that too much. And I started thinking about this. Well, this isn't cool. And then I started looking at outside investments and that's when I found uh, investing in tax deeds um, and tax liens on properties back in 1994. I do believe I paid $54 for my first one. Uh, 1995, it just went through the ceiling. I did over $5 million in deals that first year. And, and the rest is history. I mean, I wrote books on that. I had TV shows. I've taught more people worldwide on that subject. But as that was going through that whole process, what I thought was disingenuous was to tell people, oh, I've made my money doing tax lien certificates. When did that wasn't true? I did, but I also made money because of the way I set up my retirement account. That became my biggest deal. And so how I got to this point where we're at right now, Josh, is I literally was talking with a mentor of mine who happened to be a CPA like yourself. And he said, what's your biggest challenge for the next year? And I says, you know what? It really is my retirement account. Every time I do anything in my retirement account, they charge me, you know, fees for getting rent checks in there. If I close a deal, it's like a double close. I, at that time, I think I only had like three properties that I did in there and anything else was just a joke. And he goes, well, why don't you set up a self-managed account? Now understand my background, Josh. Okay. I was a financial planner at New York Life that went into, I specialized in actually car dealerships that I would go in there and roll over their retirement accounts. I go, what do you mean a self-managed? And he goes, well, you can be the trustee and you can be the administrator. As soon as he told me that, I knew exactly what I needed to do. So within a week, I had one set up and I started doing my deals in there. It got to the point in 2012, I think it was, I wouldn't do a deal outside of there um, because the tax saving was so insane. But it also liberated me into whatever I wanted to invest in, which was obviously properties, multifamily, um, you know, doing stocks. I've got some friends, uh, you and I both know Jeff uh, Tamasulo on, on Wall Street there. And, uh, and then cryptocurrencies later on. Um, one of the things that a lot of people 
don't realize is if you are an administrator and a trustee, you can invest what you feel is appropriate for your particular situation there. So that's really how it kind of got started. I mean, what I found is what's in your best interest as far as a retirement account is concerned isn't in the financial industry's best interest. And I'm not trying to be conspiratorial, Josh, but that's just a plain fact. Um, you know, they want this and they want this only. They want to capture money. Okay, so in other words, they want the account. They know for a statistical fact that 87% of people that set up a retirement account with, you know, whatever, Fidelity, TD, whoever that is, there's a 87% chance they will never change that as long as they don't mess it up. And I'm not even talking about returns. Okay, and, be, and, and what's happened over the years since 1974 is they've programmed us to believe that you actually have to have an administrator to administrate your plan, when in fact, it's the simplest thing in the world. As you know, as a CPA, you know, I mean, the way to look at this, wouldn't you agree, is to have a, a kind of a business approach to it. Your retirement account is your business with a tax favorable advantage on it. You don't have to pay taxes on it, right? Right. Yeah. It was, and it was about, I guess, about six months ago, while we were at a same event out in, uh, in the Salt Lake City area. And I remember sitting in the uh, in the audience and, and you and you came up to present and I remember sitting there and uh, you and I had not met formally yet at that right. point. And I remember sitting there and hearing your presentation and it was and I'm kind of like, uh, you know, Mike, is this real? You know, I remember kind of <laughs> jotting things down because because it was so against uh, all the traditional training that we receive. OK, you have to have this. You have to have this in place. And uh, this is the way you have to do things. Uh, which isn't the way you have to do things. It's just the way that uh, the it's in the best interest of those who kind of are the loudest voices in this space want you to think because it's in their best in, uh, best it's in their best interest or in their benefit in their benefit to do so. Well, so, let, let me let me let me yeah. touch on that a little bit because you're you're hitting on something really important. So, you know, I've looked at this very deeply, as you know, since our conversation since then, Josh. And, you know, there is a narrative or an embedded uh, belief in there because, you know, in reality, in 1974, when the ERISA laws were created, and as you get into the 80s and what have you, even when I became a stockbroker back in 87, and when, by the way, I became a stockbroker 30 days after the crash in 87, so not my timing was really good. Yeah. But, you know, you really couldn't do this. You could, but there weren't the tools that were available. I mean, right now I can trade online. I can trade. I can trade options and what have you. And so it became that you have to have an administrator. But when you start taking a step back from it, and once you realize what you were in that audience, going, wait a second, and you start thinking about it for a way, you're right. I can be my own trustee and, and administrator. Why is that? Why hasn't anybody talked about that? Again, because it's not in the best interest of the financial institution. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Let's go ahead and take a, a little bit of a step back. So I want to hear a little bit more as far as the, the journey on the tax lien and the tax uh, uh, deed certificate side. So in your journey, while you were a financial planner, you discovered kind of this overlooked way an individual can generate income using tax lien certificates and deeds. Uh, tell us about that journey and how it became your passion to the point that you actually developed uh, kind of an entire education and uh, coaching platform. So because I know that uh, there are some that, uh, that are in our listening audience uh, that listen to this, that that's part of their journey. They're kind of going through, they've kind of figured something out and they want to take it and help educate uh, individuals like you did in this particular area. And then you are now uh, as well as, as we're going to talk about a little bit further as we get into this podcast. But if you can tell us a little bit about that journey and what that looks like. Let's go backwards. Yeah, let's do that. So, you know, basically I was introduced to it in 94, I think it was. And I was like, there's no way you can't get 16% mandated by, by law. I mean, it's mandated by law, 16, 18, 19, 25%. And it's been around for over 200 years. And as I started to do research, this was actually in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm looking at this and I, you know, I, I got to the point where I think I was driving Elizabeth. She was the county um, uh, person in that office. Crazy because I'm just doing all this research and understand this is, you know, before all the internet and all that stuff. And so you had to do it physically. And then I started, you know, I bought my first one for like $54, Josh. And I was like, you know, I'm holding this certificate in my hand that says when the property owner pays these property taxes, I get 16% on my money. If they don't, I foreclose on the property and take a superior position over all liens and encumbrances, including a mortgage. And I'm like, okay, what's wrong with this? 
And so then I started doing it more. And then, you know, of course, when you have something like this, you start talking about it. And uh, a friend of mine was uh, of good friends with a gentleman by the name of Jay Mitten. He was an asset protection attorney out of Utah, uh, was on CNN, uh, Larry King back in the day, what have you. And, you know, that whole somebody knows somebody who knows somebody he got a hold of me and he says, I've always looked at this. Um, and I heard you're an expert on tax lien certificates. Now understand, Josh, I had been doing it for about 90 days at that point. And youth is beautiful. Cause I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm an expert. <laughs> and so he flew down to meet with me and his son. And we spent a couple of days doing this. And he's like, you know, I really want you to teach my clients how to do this. And uh, I said, absolutely. So he flew me out to Los Angeles and, um, I'm sitting there having dinner with uh, James, his son, and and uh, and Jay, and he says, "So, is there anything you need for tomorrow?" So, what do you mean? He says, "I'm I'm good." He goes, "Well, overheads. What do you what do you need? You got any videos?" I go, "No." And I, when he said, "I want you to talk to my clients," I thought it was like a room full of people, maybe ten or fifteen people. Well, there were four hundred. And 27 people in that room, Josh. <laughs> and I had never been on stage before in my life. And I got up there and did my best to educate these people and understand how intimidating this was. They were doctors and lawyers. Hmm. And afterwards, I got mobbed. And, and Jay had set it up. So I got mobbed with people I had questions. So afterwards, he smiles and he goes, um, okay, now I need you to go write a book on this. And I need you to do research. And I literally traveled the whole country going to auctions, buying liens, buying deeds, because it just set me in a completely different trajectory. Um, you know, after about four months of that, I just looked at New York Life as actually holding me back uh, from making money on this. Um, you know, my goal at New York Life was to retire with, you know, a quarter of a million dollars in income. Um, and this just blew that away. Um, and then, you know, it got to that point where I was, you know, on big stages. We ended up doing a TV show. Uh, uh, several books. I got a new book coming out. Uh, the Wealth Formula Revealed will be coming out later this year. Um, you know, just talking about that whole thing. And it just really opened my eyes to something that not only has been around for over 200 years, but really nobody had a system for it. And I think what makes it so unique is every single state has a different version of how you do it. You know, in your backyard there, we've done a ton of stuff. They got commissioner sales. They've got all these different things that you have over there, well, that's fine and dandy, but you go across the, you know, the river over there to uh, Chicago and it's a completely different deal. In fact, one of my first trainings I ever did was in, uh, I think it was uh, February of 19, no, 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 no. That was August of 1995. It was the summer you guys had so much heat up there. I spent six weeks doing what they call their supplemental sale there, you know, 18% every six months mandated by state law. You know, um, we get properties. Um, I've gotten, I've got three properties right now that I've spent a total of about $127,000 that have about a value of 500,000 right now, um, doing a little rehab on those and fix those up. So obviously there's some huge gaps in there with profit and that's how we got to where we're talking about today with the retirement. I mean, you know, what we were playing on this before the flip this house craze came in there, we'd get properties and we'd sell them. And my biggest challenge was I need to wait 12 months to change that from you know, ordinary income to, uh, to, you know, short-term capital gains to long-term capital gains on that. So I've always kept my eye on that. And there was ways I wrote contracts to do that. Then all of a sudden I'm looking at this retirement thing. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a game changer, you know, completely for my financial deal. And it was a game changer for my clients. I'm going to tell you this, let me tell you why I'm teaching in like 2010 ish, 2011 ish, and I got people coming up to me, Josh, as you did back then too, that are just devastated for what happened with the whole real estate debacle and the financial meltdown, knowing how long it took them to get to where they were. And they're like, literally, you know, some of them tears in their eyes. I just I remember this one couple and they're like, we don't have that kind of time. And, and I, you know, I'm sitting there smiling and the guy says to me, why are you smiling? I said, well, I can actually see where you're going to go. All you can see is where you're at. And I'm telling you, if you if you capitalize on not only these, th these different strategies that are out there, but also utilizing your retirement account, because that's what it's all about, isn't it? You can get there really quick. And you know, I'll tell you, I've helped a lot of people find financial independence through different investment strategies that I've been teaching over the years. And, and literally, I have taught more people on tax liens and deed 
investing than anybody on the planet. I've been all over the Singapore, Sydney, speaking to, you know, with Tony Rott and whatever, all over. This right here, teaching people how they can control their retirement account gives me so much satisfaction because of that whole process. I see these people later on. I just got one. I just got goosebumps. On Monday, I had a couple call me up and they we were just talking to some clients of mine. And they said, yeah, I just got to thank you. We started our retirement account with $2,200 because you almost made us, you know, and you said you can't fund something that doesn't exist. And he says, do you realize we're touching just not quite there, but we're almost to seven figures in that account in six years. And this is a couple in their thirties, you know what I mean? Wow. And, and that to me is just so, but it's also the other side of this, Josh, is I've seen people like, even with the tax liens and deeds, why isn't everybody talking about this? There's no commissions in it. There's no, you know, it kind of gets back to that financial deal. There's no commissions. There's no way to monetize the whole tax lien and tax deed market unless you opened up some type of a fund. And that sounds like a job. And just like when somebody self-manages their retirement account, there's no management fees. I took over a retirement account for an air conditioning company about a year and a half ago. You know, friend of a friend, they referred me. It wasn't like one of these, but I looked at his statement and they were paying $2,400 a month in management fees for their retirement account. And that's another conversation I get all the time. In 19 or 2012, excuse me, the labor department actually had to come out with a new rule mandating that pension fund companies um, disclose how much they were charging, you know, the management fees on that, which, you know, Josh, as you look at these statements, I, I, I know for a fact, Josh, that you are looking at these differently after you and I um, having the conversation and you see me back in June, um, you know, going, wait a second there. I mean, just take that alone. If you were the manager of your own account, now you don't have, you could leave the funds exactly where they are, but you eliminate that management fees. You know, why do you have to pay somebody a management fee to fill out paperwork? That's two pages. You know what I mean? When you're talking 5,500s or whatever you're looking at. So there's a, it definitely. So you you had uh, so one area that some people don't think about um, until they really began to accrue wealth is mm-hmm. asset protection. Yeah. And so you kind of interesting enough. You you mentioned you were going and you were speaking for these four hundred plus people for an asset protection attorney essentially. Um, so uh, when we talk about asset protection, there is something uh, a little bit unique when it relates to retirement accounts as it relates to asset protection. So uh, it really does become an issue. Um, you know, is for for those of us who are accruing wealth that now all of a sudden we have a little bit more of a target on our back. And, um, and so we have more assets. We, you know, and then of course, as we have more clients, we're out in public more, the more, the, the greater the possibility of also uh, having to deal with either a lawsuit or, or some sort of a, another type of an issue. So um, uh, when, you, when we talk about retirement accounts, asset protection, um, and to kind of uh, just throw it over to you, I mean, what, what sort of special uh, types of treatment does a retirement account get when it relates to asset protection? Absolutely bulletproof. <laughs> Let's just start with that. I mean, um, I remember when I first started uh, teaching people about this, my attorneys was saying, you can't say that. Well, unless you're doing something fraudulent, it's very, very, very difficult to penetrate um, a qualified retirement plan. So unfortunately, nobody that's listening to this podcast right now ever anticipates having you know, things happen to them. I mean, you know, that's the reason, what, what do they say? The only time you need insurance is when you're sliding down the road backwards on a sheet of ice, right? But, you know, I have got with the thousands of these, these that we've set up over the, you know, we've set up over 4,000 of these in the last um, uh, seven, eight years. Um, you know, there's been a couple of incidents where some clients came into some trouble. One in particular off the top of my head is uh, Julie and Bob, they, they uh, had some medical issues um, piled up. I, I call it the the medical hammer, this is back in 2013, I think it was, and uh, they had to file bankruptcy. And uh, these creditors, they had a high net worth and good money going in and also that just caved because of his health issues. And she called me up and she's going, you know, I've got this situation with the bank, the trustee, the bankruptcy trustee, and, you know, they're trying to do this and that. And I said, you know, okay, this is what you need to do, go into your program to pull these two sheets, hand them to the trustee. And she did. And she called me later that day. She goes, I don't know what they said because I read them three times and didn't understand it. But he read those in about 15 seconds, turned them over, slid them across the table and said, um, 
all assets in the retirement account are off the table to the point where somebody was getting upset about it, one of the creditors and the um, bankruptcy uh, judge said, if you mentioned it one more time, you will be asked to leave the room. You know, so the asset protection is just phenomenal in that, you know, and I think that that's most the most important thing um, that somebody can look at. It's not what you think about, Josh, and I'm so glad you brought it up. Because most people don't think about it because that's not what you're thinking about. You're not thinking about, well, what if something bad happens on that? In, in most cases, you know, it's kind of there and you forget about it. But it's really important to know that all of those assets in there that, you know, that that uh, classic somebody slips and falls on one of your properties or whatever the case might be, they're not going to be able to take advantage of that. Yeah, I, I, um, <clears throat> I tell clients this uh, from time to time that you'll find out as you, um, uh, as you kind of go down through this journey of, of uh, life, but especially in business, um, if you achieve any sort of level of success in business, it's not a matter of if you will get sued or if you'll face some sort of a legal issue, it's just a matter of when. Um, so it almost, I'm sure you've been sued, Sean. I know I've been sued. You know, it's just kind of one of those things that it's just bound to happen. Um, so to make sure that you're, you're structuring yourself in a way uh, prudently to be able to, to protect yourself, especially from, um, from frivolous. Most of the time, the lawsuits are rather frivolous. You end up just settling or whatever the case may be, but having something in place uh, to, uh, to where it provides some protection uh, for, for you and your family, I think is, is extremely prudent. No, it so, is. It is absolutely. And I, I agree with you hundred percent. It's not a matter of it. It's a matter of where. So let's kind of transition a little bit uh, talking about uh, retirement accounts. Um, so uh, you know, mo most people, they either use a stockbroker Okay, so they go and they, you know, they get a, a broker and they kind of help them uh, in regards to uh, handling their retirement funds. They may use a third-party administrator. A lot of our clients, uh, they, they have self-directed accounts. So they'll go through and they'll, and I have a, you know, quite a few of them are really good friends of mine that own these, um, uh, these, uh, these companies that, uh, that are third-party administrators or they are custodians. Uh, so they go and they find these people to help them uh, set up uh, their retirement accounts. Uh, is this truly necessary? I know you kind of answered this question a little bit uh, earlier. And what, what are the hurdles that one faces when they have to deal with uh, deal with these third-party administrators, with these custodians, uh, as it relates to them having freedom within their account to do what they want to do? Well, you know, there's a couple of things. First of all, they are the custodians, so there's there's some fiduciary responsibilities on that. So let's just say you take a third-party administrator and you're not going to a TD Ameritrade or Fidelity where you're locked into their investments. You know, administratively, you are handcuffed into what they're capable of doing. Um, when you start doing real estate within your retirement account uh, that is administered by a third party, it is possible, but it is difficult. Um, I always called it the third, um, uh, the third or the second closing, you know, so there's two closings that are going on and there's all this paperwork going out. And there were several times that I just lost out because I couldn't get it done quick enough type of a situation. Um, what really irritated me and got me to the point of asking that question that one time is my retirement was my big hurdle for the next year was the fact that I did have a rental property with a third party administrator before I discovered this strategy that we're talking about. And um, they, uh, <laughs> The renter had stopped paying the rent and I didn't know about it for about 60 days by the time the paperwork got to me and they were charging me $12 for certain things that were, <laughs> they were, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, it's not fair, not only to the renter, because now they're 60 days behind if they were 30 days behind and I could have done something about it, you know, and now they're further behind. Uh, the, the trust it, it is just a circle thing. And so that, there's that problem there, um, you know anything out of the ordinary, holding gold, physical gold, um, all those things become prohibitive when you've got a third party administrator. And there's just no reason for it. There's literally no reason for it when you see the simplicity and what's happened. And, you know, we've developed, uh, you know, our Tax Freedom Retirement Club, which is basically teaching people how to be self-reliant in their, in their retirement account. I mean, you know, it can be a little intimidating for some people because there's these big words rolled around, administrator, trustee, it's just you being prudent enough to know what's right and what's wrong inside your retirement account. Now you've worked uh, now at this point, you've worked with bankers and attorneys to essentially develop a solution. So uh, what, what, what is that solution? What does that look like? So you mentioned banks and we need to talk about that. This is an, another thing that taught, we, we, we ran into um, where there's, you know, again, I hate to use the word conspiracy, but it sure felt like the cards were stacked against us. So we got excited about this. Obviously I, 
and got a great relationship with my bank. I went in and opened up an account, and, you know, because you have to have, you are the administrator, so you have to have a bank where this money goes. And it's just titled under your, your account, your, your retirement account, whichever one that is best for you. And so that was not a problem. But as soon as I started helping other people do this, the banks would be like, wait a second, you're not going to let us manage the money? And some banks would refuse to open up the bank accounts for these if you didn't allow them to manage the money to the point, Josh, that Bank of America sent an internal memo out saying, don't open these accounts unless we are managing the money. So we've actually, and this is was painstaking, um, I interviewed so many different banks. I found a relationship with a bank out of Dallas, Texas. Um, uh, Jonathan and Carl are good friends of mine. They own the bank. Um, in a mastermind like you and I are involved in. Um, they were referred to me um, uh, after much frustration of dealing with different banks. And they're like, yeah, I mean, what do you mean? Yeah, we, we can do those accounts. Okay, let me give you an example. They go, Sean, we own the bank. If we say we can do them, we can do them. So now they've actually opened up a whole department. We have a white glove system. Uh, accounts are opened up seamlessly and all of this great stuff. So, you know, that is a very important aspect of this. Um, and then the other side of that is the is the, is the trust documents. I mean, once we once we figure out, there's about five questions, Josh, that we need to figure out of where you need to go. There's not anybody that we've ever found that's like this doesn't qualify for you. It's just what qualifies for you, and then we can determine that, and then we teach you how to you know do the accounts and what have you. And I apologize, but did I answer your question? Yeah. So let's let's take it one one step. Uh, maybe for those who don't kind of understand the concept. So they understand the concept. Okay, I can, I can go to a, um, uh, I can go to a broker, I can go to a third party administrator. So they understand the concept that, okay, I, I go to this place and open up this account. But when they hear kind of like, okay, I can be my own administrator, I can be my own trustee. Um, so they can understand, okay, this is the third party administrator, this is a custodian. Uh, but uh, can you kind of help maybe define those terms yes. a little bit of what yes. this means? Yes. So there's there's two things there. There's there's the um, administrator, and then you're the trustee. So a 401k, we've all heard of those. But let's define what a qualified plan is. An IRA is not a qualified plan. Okay. Anybody can do an IRA. My seven year old daughter has an IRA set up. Okay, um, there has to be a third party administrator and 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 uh, and there has to be a, a window of what you can invest in, period. Okay, that is not a qualified plan. Everybody on this call right now knows what a 401k is, 457, 403b, SEP, KEO, whatever. Those are qualified, which means you have to qualify for that. And so what that means in this case, probably 85, maybe even 90% of our clients that come into our retirement world are going to be setting up a trust document that's a 401k where you are the trustee, which means you make the decisions on the rules of what you can do. And you're the administrator, which means basically you're doing an accounting of what goes in and what goes out. That's it. So what we do is we establish, okay, Josh, you have this business. You want to have that business sponsor a retirement account. Like let's say, I don't know, Apple computer has a retirement account. They sponsor a retirement account. But as a business owner, you say, yes, I want to sponsor my own retirement account. And you can do that. So you sponsor this retirement account. We set up the plan with that. We set up the trust. We show you how to set up the bank accounts and you're off to the races. Um, now, as far as funding it, there's two ways, just like there is. It's no different than it. I don't want anybody like we created something. All we did is said, wait a second, let's eliminate the administrator and the trustee and make it you. And so what happens at the end of that year, Josh, as you know, we look at income, okay, based on your income and based on what you've done, boom, boom, the calculations are, this is what you can contribute. And let's say you're, I don't know, 40 years old and you're making good money. You could contribute as much as $60,000 into this. And as you know, Josh, that's a direct um, uh, reduction in taxable income on that. Um, you know, go from there. If you're married and both of you are working within that organization, double that. And there's catch-up contributions and stuff like that. Awesome. Uh, so uh, someone goes ahead and they move forward. They, uh, they say, okay, I want to go ahead and set one of these up. Now the big question is, okay, what can I do with these retirement funds? Because, you know, for years, right. it was always kind of like people just think like, okay, well, retirement funds, I'm going to put it into the stock market. 
Okay. Or I might, I might diversify and buy some bonds or whatever, you know, and so I, I kind of have this, this mix into my, into my retirement account. Right. And you have other people, they're familiar with self-directed. Okay. So I'm going to either, I'm going to lend it or I'm going to uh, buy real estate with it. Um, and so that's about the extent. And even with most of our clients, that's kind of what we hear. They're kind of just fall within that pretty narrow uh, area. Um, but I, there are other things that they can do. And a lot of people, they don't, they don't do other things because they're kind of nervous or they're scared that they might mess things up. So uh, what essentially can someone invest their retirement funds uh, into? Okay, so that's a, with, with this setup, um, you know, the way I like to say it is this. Pretty much any investment you want, as long as you're not physically benefiting from the investment. Josh, you and I can't go buy a vacation home and go hang out in it in my retirement account. That's, but I can buy an Airbnb and put it in there. Um, I can buy physical gold. I can trade options if that's I, I feel that that's good enough for me. I can do Forex trading. I can, you know, whatever. Um, crypto? Really, I mean, that's a big thing. That's a big question I'm getting asked now. I'm just going to get to that cryptocurrency. So I've got a lot of the groups that you and I belong to. I'm getting hammered with that. They're like, dude, I'm getting killed in taxes on this. I'm going, yeah, why would you not do this in your retirement? I've got hundreds of thousands of dollars in crypto in my retirement account. Um, and it, you know, Coinbase, you go in there, you open up the account. I'm the administrator. I'm the trustee. I give them the tax ID number like a business. The account's opened up. I fund it with retirement money and I'm off to the races. Um, here's another thing. This is, you can't do this unless you set it up this way. And I know a lot of your, your clients are real estate people, um, Josh. Is it okay if I get a little advanced here? Of course. Yeah, this is, this is, this is you know, almost retirement on steroids, if you will. Let's say that you, Josh, own a property worth $400,000 in your retirement account. Let's say it is paying, you know, some income on rental and what have you. And you own it free and clear because in your retirement account, you've done a good deal on that, whatever it is you did. You know. And all of a sudden, another deal comes along and you and your wife are looking at it. And going, God, that'd be a great deal for a retirement, but we have no liquid cash in there. You have a $400,000 house in there. Because you're the administrator and the trustee, and only because of those two things, you're allowed to leverage assets within your retirement account. So what you can do is, borrow against that property that's in your retirement account. Let's say you find a property that needs, you know, you can pay $200,000 for it. Let's say it needs $50,000 worth of rehab. So Josh, you buy it for 200,000, you do the rehab on it. It's a great deal. You sell it, you flip that property for 350 and there's a $100,000 profit. Well, here's the beautiful thing. Because you used an asset to leverage the loan to buy that property, that property is considered an asset of the retirement account. <laughs> so you pay the bank back the $250 and the $100,000 profit goes right back into your retirement account. No short-term capital gains to worry about at all on that. That is insane. Because literally, you're almost, I mean, there, what's your return on that? Kind of infinite because you use borrowed money to get it. You made $100,000 on the deal without anything outside. You didn't have to have extra capital in there or anything. And it almost deserves a moment of silence when you hear that, because I, I know what happens when I'm doing conferences and people come up to me afterwards, they're going, you know, like you said at the mm -hmm. conference, are you sure you could do this? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's right there in the ERISA code and, and all this, um, that you can do this stuff. So those, those, I mean, I always like to say this, if you have to ask, I wonder if the IRS would allow this investment in my retirement account, you probably shouldn't be doing the investment. <laughs> you know, but the real uh, basic deal is if you're physically benefiting from the investment, it's not allowed. Um, uh, you can't buy a property for your son, Ben, or, you know, or, you know, do that way. You can't do that. If you were buying, if you're a car collector, you bought a 57 Chevy and fixed it up and sold it, that's allowed. Buy a 57 Chevy and drive it in the parade. You know, that, that type of, so it's pretty basic. And, you know, again, I know that, you know, we've talked about this before. A lot of common sense comes into this, you know, and one of the things that we've done with the Tax Freedom Retirement Club is we put videos out on this and I'm constantly, anything that happens in this arena, um, you know, I'm doing videos on this, any articles, anything that comes up to kind, kind of keep you abreast. And I'm going to talk about this. 
This is what I found with this. And you know this as a CPA, that that gets measured improves. That that gets measured and manages, managed improves dramatically. And it's a really weird phenomenon that I've seen with people that start managing their own retirement account. They pay more attention to it, Josh. You know what I'm saying? So they're looking at this and, they're, and all of a sudden they go, oh my gosh, I can do this and I can do this. And the other thing is independent financial advisors are coming to me and saying, can you set this up for my clients? Because it makes them look like heroes. If, they're, if they go, sometimes Sean, something comes up that I'm not even allowed to do that because I'm, as a fiduciary, I wouldn't be allowed to let them do that. But when they're the administrator, they can. It's just, I mean, you can hear it in my voice. I get so excited about this, John. So if someone goes and they set this up, what responsibilities do they have? So they, they be, you're going to help them. Uh, so uh, as far as on the education piece, even uh, as far as uh, on, on that. So when they, when they walk through this process, but yeah. um, what, what sort of responsibilities do they have? I mean, you mentioned 5,500s earlier. So um, what, what other sort of responsibilities does that, uh, does the individual have? Well, there's, there's not a whole lot of responsibilities in the beginning until you get to a certain level and, and remind me and I'll get to that. So when you first open up, it takes us about um, 72 hours really to get these things rolling. Uh, uh, we were just buried at the end of the year last year doing these. I think we did 150 plans in the last two weeks because um, people are trying to get in for the 2021 calendar year. And really all it is, is there's about six different signatures on the trust, trust documents and you've got to do some basic stuff set up the bank accounts, which, which we will uh, set you up with uh, our contacts over at uh, Titan. Um, Ryan and those guys, they white glove you. They put you through the whole process. Now you've got the accounts and you roll your money over into that. That's a responsibility in the beginning. Um, if you need to do asset transfer, you can do that also. We'll show you how to do that. Uh, uh, basic things. Um, beneficiary. If something were to happen to you, you've just got to name a beneficiary. That's probably one of the biggest things you've got to do. That's it. Now, as you get rolling, obviously these this bank account has to be, you know, you, you've got it in an accounting software system. And at the end of the year, Josh, you're going to ask them, we need your bank balances. We need your bank balances. And what assets do you own? And what are their values? Those three things is all they need to tell you as an administrator. And so, you know, I've got $100,000 in cash and I've got $80,000 worth of asset. Okay, that's it. Now, once the plan gets a value, of $250,000 or more, you have to file, which you're familiar with, Josh, is the 5,500 form. And um, I haven't looked at those for a while, so you can probably better answer this question. It's about two pages. Um, and it basically just says, now this is another beautiful thing about the self-administered plan. When you file your 5,500, okay, that puts a timestamp on your plan documents. The IRS can't go back and audit that after three years. So once that clock starts ticking, not that you're doing anything wrong, but you know, if anybody knows their history with the IRS, they have gone back and changed rules and said, we're not gonna do that anymore. Okay, not that this, you know, this has been around for years, but I, you know, hey, peace of mind. Um, you know, so once you stamp that with the 5,500, so anytime your assets get above that, and Josh, you can help them out with that. Um, they make that happen, you know, but th that's really it. And so I really, I, do, you know, because like a lot of times we get, you know, literally I was with um, uh, uh, an attorney, we're doing a, a, about 300 people up in Coeur d'Alene, a conference up there. He's a, he's a corporate attorney and he goes, it just makes me so angry. He says, I talked to somebody the other day where they're, and I will not name the financial firm. They're saying, you're not allowed to manage your own fund. You know, top of, and then made it sound so complicated. And what we just talked about is really essentially it. Uh, you know, if you can balance a checkbook, um, you're in. Awesome. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about setting up an LLC and having a checkbook IRA. Okay. Uh, which, in, of course, in recent days, has really drawn the attention of uh, the courts and, and Congress. So is having a checkbook IRA a good idea? And how does becoming one's own custodian and trustee differ from having a checkbook IRA? Great question, Josh. Um, and I'm so glad you brought that up because it's a hard sensitive subject to bring up because people get come to me and go, I've got check writing IRA. I go, you're, you're asking for trouble, uh, period. And it's coming. It's starting to happen right now. Um, you might be referring to that Wall Street Journal article from last month, um, which I'm doing a, a video on. If you want, I can send it out to your clients. Um, but it's, you know, the IRS is coming down. They're just saying, no, you can't do that. Um, it's, you know, 
how do I put this? Well, actually, you can appreciate this, Josh. You know, um, one of my best friends is a CPA. And about 18 years ago, we were sitting there talking and he goes, you know, Sean, you're always looking for ways to get around the IRS. And you got to understand something. My dad was an entrepreneur. He was the youngest of 11 kids. Um, you know, they both, um, my, my mom and my dad met in, in Nebraska. They both were raised on farms. And so they kind of got that whole mentality. If the IRS is knocking on the door, grab your gun and then ask questions, you know, type of a deal. And that's kind of how I was brought up. And I says, well, yeah. And he goes, there are no loopholes, Sean. You got to understand the IRS just sets up the, the uh, enforces the rule. Think of them as referees. He says, Congress is the one that's making the rules and they make the rules for you to win. You not knowing that you can punt on fourth down is your problem. He says, you need to understand the rules so you can go with it. I'm like, okay. The rule is very clear that you cannot do what they're doing with these check writing um, IRAs. Um, now there hasn't been an IRS ruling on it yet. It's coming. I'm telling you, it's coming based on what happened in Congress several months ago with that. Can't remember what his name is, but that brought the attention of everything. And I knew it was just a matter of time before that happened. So I've dealt with this question for about eight years now. And, you know, my th thing is, you know, do what you want. I'm going to do what's in writing. You know, anybody here can open up and become a trustee and what have you. It's, it, you know, let's put it this way. This is what all senators and Congress people get. They get their own qualified retirement plan. So there you go. Okay. That makes sense. It does. It does. Um, all right. So let's, uh, so tell us a little bit about prohibited transactions and what should some uh, practically do to make sure they avoid any prohibited transactions? Well, you know, again, I want to go back to the whole, if you have to ask the question, I wonder if this is prohibited, you probably shouldn't be doing it. It's so limited on what you can't do. Um, you know, so you can, a, a prohibited transaction, if I wasn't the trustee, would be cryptocurrency, uh, Forex trading, all of those, because excuse me, that does not meet the widow and orphans rule, if you will, as a, you know, I can't take somebody else's money and do that. Because you're the administrator and the trustee, I can go out and do an Airbnb if that's my deal. I've got a group that does, that's all they do. And so the, all their, they teach people how to do multiple houses. And, and I, you guys should be doing some of these inside your retirement account. Uh, you can buy um, gold and keep them in your safe, wherever you want a physical gold. Um, you can do all these things. So, you know, it really is limited on what you can't do. Um, what you can't do is be physically benefiting from. So that Airbnb, I better not be using it. Um, you, you know, so again, it becomes practical on that. Um, and I'm hoping that helpful. We got a whole slew of information on that to make it happen. But the prohibitive transactions really comes into play when you are not your own administrator and when you are not the trustee. And prohibited transactions go into a fiduciary thing more than anything else. So I cannot do something that's going to physically benefit me. That's helpful. Thank you. Uh, no, so I'm going to go ahead and throw a question over to you. And it's one that I uh, ask uh, pretty much every time I have somebody on the podcast. So it has nothing to do with retirement accounts, although your answer may have something to do with retirement accounts. But uh, you've worked with hundreds of entrepreneurs, uh, solopreneurs, uh, you know, everywhere from a solopreneur trying to figure things out uh, all the way to very profitable seven, eight, nine, ten figure business owners. Uh, from, your, from your experience, what are the top reasons uh, why a business either succeeds or fails? Oh, gosh, that's actually a pretty fun question. Top reasons they fail is a lack of planning. Um, and number two would be lack of understanding of financials. And I'm not kissing up to you, Josh, but it's the truth. Um, I know I see more people that don't understand. They're just trying to make money. And making money doesn't mean you're profitable. Um, I've seen this time and time again. Growing for growth's reason alone is, is, is not true. Understand what APs and ARs and how they can affect your balance sheet. Understand where your, your cogs are. Understand that you have to reevaluate that on a regular basis. And, and if you're not having, you know, regularly scheduled meetings on looking at your financials, you're, you're making a big mistake and you need to question your paradigm too. Um, I'm going to tell you this, this pandemic really taught me a lot. Um, everything that we were doing went away. And so we were forced to think of things differently as far as, you know, virtual, like we're doing right now and what have you. And it also got rid of some uh, sacred cows, you know, things that we thought were not possible. 
also became possible. So sometimes I think you need to question what it is that you're doing, but by far, what makes a business fail is a lack of vision and plan of where you're going rather than trying to look at what's happening right now. So there's two different things. As an individual, spiritually, we're taught to be in the present moment, aren't we? Right? Be present, be present, be present. As a business owner, yeah, you got to be present in your business, but you better have a vision on where you're going and, um, and know your numbers. Know your numbers. And if you do not understand financial seat, um, uh, balance sheets, then learn them, please. Um, and I tell this to kids that come to me all the time and say, you know, I'm thinking about going to school. What would be the best subject for me to teach? Finances, period. I don't care what it is. Nobody that's going to school can't benefit from understanding. I don't care if you're opening up a hair salon, car wash to whatever the deal is. If you understand how that works, that revenue is not profit. <laughs> EBITDA doesn't mean anything. It's an interesting number. You know, I always like to say above the line, below the line, you know, what are your yagas that really don't mean anything to run the business and what's your bottom line to make it, you know, and it also sets the stage for things. You know, if you understand where your cogs are and where that's going, you understand how hard to work. There's a lot of vanity numbers out there that people like to throw around. I, I see it. You see it all the time on social media. Um, I saw one here within the last couple of days, you know, my, my company made a million dollars this last year, you know, they're in real estate. So what does that mean? You sold four houses. Congratulations. You know, um, it's just, it's stuff like this is they're meaningless numbers. And of course, as an accountant, uh, you know, I, I see that and it's just, I just kind of, I just kind of half roll my eyes. The other one that I, I, that kind of, uh, irks me a little bit is the whole cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. And, uh, and I say, okay, well, you know, that's great. There are businesses losing tens of millions of dollars that have all kinds of cash flow. And I jotted down this line uh, this last week, and I kind of think I mentioned it in my last podcast. I mean, there's very little difference between a, a business with no cash flow and one that doesn't manage their cash flow. Um, <laughs> and you talk about, uh, you know, not, not knowing your numbers, that type of thing. Um, and, uh, and as an accountant, and generally we work with clients, the income statement is actually the last of the three financials we look at. Uh, we really dig into the balance sheet and the statement of cash flow balance before, sheets, we, yeah, have, yeah. before yeah. we get into the, into the P&L side. So thanks for sharing that. Um, so as we wrap this up, Sean, and thank you for spending the time and, and you gave us an incredible amount of information, but I do want to uh, offer the opportunity of anyone uh, they want to get a hold of you to be able to do so. So if someone's interested in doing this, first of all, if you can kind of give us an idea on the uh, kind of what does this look like from a cost perspective, because, um, you know, and in, in, it's kind of one of those things that I know from a, from a tax perspective, someone going there setting up a qualified plan, there's actually a tax credit out there they can receive to get help with this. But I think probably for anyone, just the fact that I'm not going to have to pay a custodian, uh, bottom cool. line, by definition, I, I'm going to make between 12 and 25% of my money if I did nothing, I've been doing the same thing in my in this structure as I would doing someplace else. So it's, it's almost a no brainer, but uh, someone has that question, what does that cost look like on the front end? And then how do they go about it? You mentioned kind of these five questions they can answer. Is there yeah. a place they can go kind of complete that and connect with you or your team and then, and then decide if they want to move forward? Absolutely. And a great question. Um, you know, the cost on this is, is not a one shoe fits all. So let me give you an example. Um, I'm going to say probably 85% of our clients will roll in the like $2,500 range for that. Um, and then it can go as high as $5,000. And that's, that's really it. Um, and I, I really appreciate you bringing that up as a CPA. Um, you know, there's a big deduction for setting this up right off the bat. Number one, number two, um, you know, as you contribute funds to this, I mean, there's that whole adage, you either pay the IRS or you pay your retirement account. I mean, you know, my, my CPA to this day with my own retirement account sends me a note, text message every single year. We got two choices. If you fund your retirement account, this is how much you can. If you don't, this is how much you have to pay the IRS. <laughs> and he does it for fun because he's the one that helped me set this whole thing up. But it's the truth. Um, there is a, uh, a link that I've got set up specifically for your for your people on this. Um, and I want you, uh, your, your students to know that this is um, a very simple process. So you go to qrpcall.com. That's qualified retirement plan. So qrpcall.com. I've tried to make that as vanilla as possible, meaning there are five basic questions in there. And that what that does at the end of those questions, you will have an opportunity 
to do one-on-one uh, -on -one with, uh, with my staff um, and understand they've been with me, um, uh, some of them for over 15 years. They know what they're doing. And in that call that you will have, you will have the opportunity to go, okay, this is what you're going to be able to do. Here's what you need to do to make this thing happen. And I don't care what your circumstance is. This is a very unique opportunity. There's very, I haven't seen anybody that doesn't benefit from setting this up. I mean, Josh, I mean, like you said, it's a no brainer on that. Um, you know, not only is there the deductibility in some of the plans, not all of them, but some of them, um, when you first initially set it up, there's also the contribution levels and then your awareness of it. I mean, it just goes on and on. And here's the other thing. It's the gift that the IRS keeps giving. <laughs> so every year you get those deductions. And it, you know you, you don't have to pay us every year to set this thing up. Uh, we do have an annual fee of $197, and that's just to keep us going with all the videos. And the, uh, we have a white glove experience, which means you can call us anytime with questions. Um, we have a personal relationship with the bank. And let me explain how valuable that is. I was doing a deal in Savannah, happened to be in Dallas speaking. I called Jonathan to see if he wanted to have dinner. He's the owner of the bank. Um, coincidentally, I was leaving Dallas to go to Savannah to an auction. He calls me up later that afternoon. I go, with anything can't make it, you know, what's it? He goes, uh, Sean, you know, you're requesting some cashier's checks to be overnighted to Savannah. And they go, yeah, I'm going to an auction. He goes, we can't send checks to an address that's not the address of record on the, on the plan. He goes, tell you what, though, just tell me what it's for and give me a couple of descriptions of these houses and I'll put it in your file. They're regulated. They're right. They're regulated. I went, okay. So we went out to dinner and he says, Sean, talk to me about this. So I told him, I said, look, I can't possibly know what I need as far as dollar amounts, you know, a week or so out. So that wasn't going to work for me. And he goes, yeah, we get a lot of those calls from your clients. He goes, let me work on it. 30 days later, he got a special permission from the regulators for our clients to be able to send cashier's checks to anywhere they needed them. That's the kind of white glove that we have on that. Uh, we have conferences that we put together once a year with speakers that come in. You know, what I want you involved in is the, the tribe of the Tax Freedom Retirement Club. So you're part of that and you see what's available to you and you take advantage of it. I've just seen this explode. So when you go to qrpcall.com, all you need to do is answer those questions, set up an appointment with my staff on there. They'll give you 30 minutes. And in that 30 minutes, they will, they will, you will have a direction on where to go. And I think it'll change your, it'll change your world. It really will. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate you doing that uh, for, uh, for those who listen to this uh, podcast and uh, for, for our clients. And, uh, and, and I think uh, probably for many of them will end up becoming mutual clients at some point as well. So Absolutely. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Sean, thank you for your time today. Uh, I cannot express my appreciation enough for you. Uh, you're, you're a very giving person and that I've noticed and I'm, and I'm thankful for that. Once again, for those of you that are listening, this is Josh Belk with Belk on Business Podcast. Uh, if you haven't already, please consider subscribing. Uh, definitely look in the show notes. We'll go ahead and put that link uh, for qrpcall.com where you can get a hold of Sean and his team, answer those questions and get the ball rolling on investing in your future and getting it done quickly. Thank you much. Have a wonderful day.